Welcome back, one and all, to the AirPod. Uh, I am off the streets, out of the cold, in our studio here in London for another week, catching up on all that's been going on with the Royal Family. And my, there has been a lot. Uh, We have a lot to break down this episode, actually. Uh, But before we get to anything else, I just want to sort of run through the week and the rest of the Royal Family's lives, because a lot has been going on. A lot has been overshadowed this week, of course, with the news of Prince Andrew stepping away from his life as a working member of the Royal Family. A lot of things have changed. I will be unpacking all of that with Royal Commentator Victoria Arbiter will be joining me from New York. But before then, Prince Charles, of course, has been on tour in New Zealand, a tour that has really been overshadowed by a lot of the news this week. This is a visit that, of course, for the couple was incredibly important. We saw Charles go there straight off the back of his two-day visits to India. We saw Camilla bounce back from a period of ill health to focus on engagements in New Zealand. We know that visits to New Zealand are incredibly important for the couple. New Zealand and Australia really as countries that are quite split down the line when it comes to opinions of having a monarchy um, and sort of what that means for for each country. I think for them to, for members of the royal family to keep going over and showing just why it's so important to have uh, a monarchy um, is incredibly important. Now back here in the UK, William and Kate were at the Royal Variety performance earlier this week. Uh, It's very popular engagement on the royal calendar. We have seen every member of the royal family attend. We saw Harry and Meghan there last year. It was a night really where the royals get to sit back and unwind and watch some of Britain's finest performers on stage. Of course, the entire event raises money for the Royal Variety Charity that supports entertainers and performers in the UK, many of which have retired uh, through those who are going through difficult times be it with poor health or financial difficulties, uh, that really is where the Royal Variety charity comes into its own. And of course, Prince Harry signed off uh, for the Sussexes period of rest. Uh, It's been a long time in the works. We've spoken about it every week for the past few weeks. Uh, He attended the Onside Youth Zone Awards here in London at the Royal Albert Hall it's a great night for him. I think one really, when anytime Harry is around young people and it's a, an engagement uh, supporting the work that young people are doing in the charitable space in the UK, that's really where he sort of comes into his own. He gave a really inspiring speech that night, actually, on just the power of youth and why it's so important for him to work with youth. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, we look at young people like Greta Thunberg and the work that they're doing. And he told the kids in the room that everyone has the power to and the ability to be as impactful as Greta has. When Greta started her climate change protest, she was just 15 years old. One voice, one, just one placard, sitting on our own outside the Swedish parliament. Many people, actually I should say many adults, dismissed her. Yet today, millions upon millions of young people have joined her fight. She may have just been one person at the beginning, but she had a belief, a mission, and a desire to do something not just for herself, but for everyone. And now the whole world is paying attention. Whatever your dream, every country, every community, every school, every friendship group, every family needs their own Greta. Someone who can lead the way, someone who is prepared to stand up for what they believe, 
Now later on in the show I'm going to be diving into one of Prince Harry's most important patronages, African Parks. It's an organisation that he's worked closely with since 2016. You may remember him being involved in one of the biggest translocations of elephants in the world, 500 and something elephants, that he was on the ground helping to move across uh, national parks in Malawi. He then became a patron a year later. It's one that he's very involved with now. It played a significant role in the Sussex's Southern Tour. So I'll be talking with Andrea Haidloff from the organisation just to hear more about Harry's work with them and the impact that that's had. But before then, I want to connect over with our New York studio to speak with Victoria Arbiter. It has been quite the week for Prince Andrew, a big change for the York family. We've seen the Duke of York step back from his uh, public duties as a member of the royal family. It will be big time of change for, for him and his family. I just want to take a look into what that really means for the royal family as a whole. Well, I'm joined by Victoria Arbiter, who's in our New York studio at the moment. Victoria, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Omid. Always a pleasure. Um, not the, the most enjoyable conversation to, to go through this week. It has been a rather series of shock events for the royal family that has brought us to this point. I don't think I ever quite imagined that we would be having this conversation, if I'm being honest. No, I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more, in fact. And it's been it's been a rough week. I mean, mostly, I suppose, for, for Prince Andrew. I th- think he didn't anticipate quite the fallout um, that has occurred. But I didn't think we'd get to this point, which is why it was so interesting the interview came about as it did. Because while Andrew's name was still being thrown around in the press and while accusations were still riding high, particularly following the death of, of Epstein, um, it was sort of starting to lose a little traction uh, in in light of there not being any new revelations or any new investigations. So for Andrew to choose to speak when he did was quite odd because, of course, it threw everything back into the fray and the fallout has been, I suppose, in a word, catastrophic. And of course, you know, I, I just want to go back to that documentary. You know, in, in, in Prince Andrew's eyes, he really thought that he was going to turn things around, that this documentary would completely clear his name. It would prove to the world that, uh, you know, he isn't uh, guilty of the things that he's being accused of or questioned about. Uh, but of course, it did anything but that. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I think the intentions going in were definitely to clear his name by association to distance himself from Jeffrey Epstein. I suppose exert some kind of damage control, and I don't think he thought for one second it would backfire as it has done. But the problem is how he conducted it, right? And we know from covering the royals as we do... They rarely speak out because often there will be a backlash. Look what happened to Prince Charles in 1994 when he admitted to committing adultery. I think he was really counting on public sympathy and the public went crazy. Um, it didn't go over well. And whether Andrew was taking a leaf out of Charles's book, I don't know. But if he was going for sympathy, he absolutely killed it when... For me, especially when uh, Emily Maitlis said to him, do you regret your friendship with Jeffrey Epstein? And he said, now, still not, along the words along those lines. And and to go on there and have a 50-minute interview, not express even one iota of sympathy for the victims, but to also not show any kind of remorse over his association with Jeffrey Epstein, those were just two big bombs dropped. 
I think what surprised me the most was at the end of the interview, how pleased he seemed to be with it. You know, he went and took the crew on a tour of Buckingham Palace. He even offered to sit, uh, sort of, and take them into a screening. Yeah. And it just seemed quite, I mean, it, it showed, to me, it showed a man that was so out of touch with real life. Oh, couldn't have been more so. Yeah, I mean, that's quite cocky, isn't it? Come, let me show you around Buckingham Palace because we did such a good job. But also right at the end of the interview, when Emily Maitlis said, is there anything else you'd like to say? I think even then I was on the edge of my seat going, okay, now he's going to say something. Now he's going to express a little sympathy. And he said, no, I I think you've dragged it all out of me. And she gave him the perfect intro to at least at that point say, yes, my profound respect, sympathy, compassion to the victims. Um, But no, you've dragged it all out of me here. Let's go tour my humble home Um, was bizarre. I think to me, it seemed quite clear that he hadn't really sat down with anyone for a proper Mm -hmm. briefing on what to go through in this interview. Usually, I mean, you know, we've interviewed so many people over the years, members of the royal family, but also those in part who are part of this world. And most people come into this quite media trained. They will sit down with someone to go through perhaps what those questions might look like. I'm sure the BBC wouldn't have shared what the interview was going to contain, but they would have known, given everything that's been reported over the months at the household, yeah, yeah, what would have been discussed that day. And for whatever reason, it just seems like that didn't happen. Not at all. It's like he just bulldozed his way in with the kind of this big act of bravado. I've got it. I've got it. And yet, had he been thinking straight, that's when you spend hours just going over how you're going to express your remorse, how you're going to show compassion. This was an absolute perfect example of how not to do any kind of interview. And public relations experts will probably be studying this for years, saying here is a case study of what not to do. Um, Because you're right, but at the same time, there's a point where you can be surrounded by the best PR advisors on the planet. But if the principal chooses not to listen to them, you have no say. Um, And he just pushed right into this, did what he felt he needed to do. And I hope, given the fallout, he's learned a little humility in in the days after. Absolutely. I think around the time of the interview being announced, it was reported quite widely that the Queen has sort of given her blessing Mm -hmm. for this interview to happen. I think since then it's transpired that she had sort of just been made aware of it rather than given her blessing. But at the time, of course, it did seem like she was all for it. Well, because we know that nothing happens within the monarchy without the Queen's say-so. So you have to wonder how Andrew pitched it to her. Was it a case of, Mum, this is a great idea, it's the BBC, they'll take care of me, we're just going to sort out a few things, damage control, clear my name, all done and dusted. I just can't believe for one second the Queen knew or understood the full extent of what was going to go down because there's no way she would have said yes to that. She's far too media savvy and experienced to know how an interview like that can turn, how it can be scrutinised and what the potential fallout would be. Absolutely. And I think across all of the households, the news of the interview actually happening it came. It hit the public at the same time it did them. From conversations I've had with some of the Palisades, they found out when the BBC put their press release out. So it took everyone by surprise. And of course, I'm sure everyone would have had something to say had they have known about it before it actually was announced. And maybe that's why Andrew didn't say anything, because he was frightened that people would say, no, don't do it. So he surrounded himself with yes people, whether that was Fergie, former wife Fergie, or if it was his secretary, Amanda Thursk. I'm not sure, but he he clearly wanted to do this and no one was going to stand in his way. If only he'd listened to a little expert advice, 
I think things could be very different at this point in the week. Exactly. I think the public reaction to the interview almost forced the situation that stands today to happen. You know, we saw his uh, patronages and charities that he was associated with quickly removing him from their website. I think just within sort of 48 hours, Teen Tech, uh, Jubilee Sailing Trust, the Raspberry Pi Foundation, Royal Society for Asian Affairs, Sick Kids Foundation, these quite large organisations had very quickly wiped his name off all material on their websites. Yeah, when you list it like that, you suddenly start to see the knock-on effect. And of course, I think, what was it, within 24 hours, five of the corporate sponsors of Pitch at the Palace said they were reviewing their relationship. But that is also very interesting because all these people had stayed with Andrew during the period of allegations where claims against him were being made. But it just goes to show the power of public opinion and the fallout of that interview because... Yes, I think they were probably reviewing their relationship with Andrew, given the allegations against him and given the amount of press it was it was garnering uh, since Epstein's death. Um, but it was only following that interview when they saw how the public had reacted that they quickly jumped into damage control themselves. And it's further interesting because normally people are clamoring for a royal patron. They're so valuable. But in this instance, clearly much better to have no royal patron than to have the wrong royal patron. Exactly. I mean, the damage control continues now. We saw pictures of Andrew leaving the Royal Lodge in Windsor, uh, heading into meetings at Buckingham Palace, uh, bizarrely smiling and waving at the press as he as he left. It just it just gets crazy. I think there were pictures as well. Right as I was on my way to chat to you, I saw pictures hitting Twitter of Fergie with her window down and smiling and waving to everybody. And you're just like, my goodness, at what point do you just rein it in. They they goad each other in the worst possible way. And it's Beatrice and Eugenie, unfortunately, that then experience the fallout of their parents' actions. It must be so difficult for those girls right now. Exactly. Although uh, Prince Andrew is officially sort of stepped away from his sort of public work as a member of the royal family, he does still have private interests. Of course, you mentioned his Pitch at Palace programme, which started in the UK about five years ago. It's a platform that he started to amplify and accelerate the work of uh, local and uh, entrepreneurs across the world. Um, I think it's now a kind of international operation. So although he is sort of unofficially, uh, he's not officially working in a royal capacity, he will still continue with that work. I guess they've got to have him do something, but it remains to be seen what kind of financial support he'll get because what organisations are going to stay affiliated? I, I really hope he's heeding advice now because in the days and weeks and months ahead, he cannot be too careful, especially if he has any hope of ever finding his way back into public duties. I I don't feel too optimistic about that. I think public opinion is going to err on the negative side. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pitch at Palace, it's, it's been an amazing initiative and it's done some tremendous mm. things for youngsters. Yeah. So it would be a shame for them to lose that opportunity. But I don't know if Andrew's the right person to be at the helm just, no, just right now. It may be time to pass, pass a few things down to his daughters, perhaps. Because, yeah. of course, they are still very much engaged in the work that they do as sort of young philanthropists. And I think it would be such a shame to see 
the impact that his bad decisions have sort of made on, on, on them. On their life, especially as they're the only blood princesses of the generation. You know, people, princess term, perhaps that sounds a little archaic in this century, mm. but they are the only blood princesses of the generation. And both girls are very impressive. I thought at Eugenie's wedding, when she showed off her scoliosis scar, that was incredibly inspirational for fellow sufferers. But also Beatrice, as a dyslexic, she stood up and gave such a beautiful reading in what must have been such a stressful environment for her. I think there's a lot of positive um there's a lot of positivity to be gained from the girls if they're given the right platform and I hope they'll be utilized it'll have to be in a private capacity of course there's no official role for them now particularly on the heels of their father's departure but I hope they're utilized in some way because I think they have a lot to offer yeah, and I also hope that the support continues for them. Uh, a friend of mine was at an event with uh, Princess Eugenie last night, uh, the event, uh, the Elephant Family, right. uh, which is an NGO that protects Asian elephants. She was at this event when the statement dropped, and I oh. just and I wondered in that moment had people even communicated with her that this was even happening. Very good point, because no one seems to be talking to each other at the moment. And and everything just seems to be happening behind closed doors and everyone finds out at the same time as the rest of the public. Um, so who's to say? I would hope they would have told her. Um, but you can't be sure these days. No, you really you really can't. What do you think the, the knock-on effects of this will have on the reputation of the royal family on the whole? On the whole, Omid, I think the royal family will recover because they've taken... They've taken the right action. There was no other there was no other way to go. If Andrew hadn't stepped down and if he hadn't been, for want of a better word, forced to step down, I think they'd be in in really dire straits. Um, this will pass. The royal family has weathered many a storm over its over a thousand year history. This is another blip in the tapestry, I suppose. Um, but I think everyone needs to put the victims at the forefront here. Andrew, if he does do another interview, it needs to be with law enforcement officials to clear his own name, to give the victims the closure they need and for everyone to be able to move on but that's the other thing Andrew was talking you know or there's a suggestion that Andrew wants to come back into the fold when the Epstein case has been wrapped up that could take years you know how legal things go um, so I think he's just got to be really mindful of how he behaves moving forward because whatever he does is going to impact the royal family and I think he's had enough of an impact this week Absolutely. Well, Victoria, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you Hopefully for having next me. time we can be talking some, talking about something a little oh, more upbeat. Oh, yes. Babies and weddings. That's what we like. That's what we like. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Well, thank you, Omid. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. Coming up after the break, I'll be speaking with African Parks about some of the most impactful work that Prince Harry has been doing for them over the last couple of years since he became patron. It's an incredibly important organisation for him, one that he's very involved with, not just as a royal patron, but on the ground as well. So I'm really keen to hear more about that from Andrea Haidloff, one of their spokespeople. Now, early in the show, I said that we'd be speaking with African Parks just about some of the impactful work that Prince Harry's been doing with them since becoming patron in 2017. And I'm very lucky to have Andrea Haidloff, uh, the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at African Parks, on the line. Hi, Andrea. How are you? Hello, Omid. Thanks very much for having me. I'm, I'm well. Thank you. Where in the world are you right now? Where, where, where are we joining you? Unfortunately, just in Washington, D.C., but I will be headed uh, to Johannesburg in about a week's time, which is where our head office is. Lovely. Uh, avoiding some of the winter weather, I'd imagine. 
That's right. It's good timing. <laughs> Now, African Parks has played such a big role in Harry's work for the last couple of years. It's a cause that's so dear to him, and we've really seen him sort of push that front and center on a lot of the projects that he's involved in. Uh, most recently, being the uh, Southern African tour that we saw the Sussexes on. But of course, your story with the organization and African Parks story goes back much further. Would you be able to tell? Our listeners, just sort of the backstory to to African Parks. Yeah, absolutely. So, African Parks is a conservation NGO, and we were founded in 2000. So we're still, you know, we're not brand new, but we're we're, we're not that old. Um, we were founded essentially in response to some really pressing questions as to why were protected areas failing, even though they've been designated. You know the lines have been drawn; they've been marked out. Why were protected areas failing across Africa? And we came to the conclusion that there were kind of three, really just simple and key things. One was the lack of resources, meaning money and and expertise, um, lack of will, sadly, um, and lack of accountability. Who's actually responsible for seeing that these protected areas function and are well managed across Africa? So our current CEO Peter Fernhead was one of those founding. There were four members actually that that founded African Parks back in 2000, and uh, today we are managing 16 parks across Africa in 10 countries. With a short-term goal of managing 20 parks by 2020. Wow! And of course, the focus—you know—we immediately think that the focus is on conservation here, which, of course, is very much a key part of this. But there's also a strong focus on economic development and uh, poverty alleviation in sort of surrounding communities. That's exactly right. And so, while we are a conservation organization, everything we do. Is actually about people. It's about people that live in and around these wild areas that truly depend on these ecologically functioning, safe places for their livelihoods, and in some cases, you know, for their entire survival. So, you you bring up a really good point because uh, there's often been a division between. What we do for conservation, and kind of seeing that maybe that's at odds with what people need, and that's absolutely not the case. You know, we see over and over that wildlife need the same conditions to thrive that that people do, mm. um, and so it is. It's and at the end of the day, you know, we we typically enter into long term management agreements. To manage these protected areas on behalf of governments, we shoot for twenty to twenty-five years. So that's really long in in the world of conservation. It's really good because it sends a message that we're not just there just for a year or two. We are there for the long haul. But what happens at the end of those agreements?、Um, it's essential that there is community buy-in, that there's government buy-in, and that communities and governments recognise that this is actually the most valuable choice. Uh, in terms of you know, using conservation or seeing it as a as a choice that that delivers countless benefits、um, to to the surrounding communities. 
And of course, Prince Harry's involvement uh, with African parks really started more than just an interest. He actually got very hands-on. I think it was in the summer of 2016 in Malawi. He was very much one of the team members uh, involved in possibly the biggest ever <laughs> elephant relocation I've ever heard of. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. So we were really fortunate to have uh, the Duke join us on the ground and that's right, it was in 2016, and he actually came again in 2017 in his personal capacity to help us carry out what is supposedly one of the largest elephant translocations ever to happen on the planet, um, where we moved successfully 520 elephants from two parks to a third park, all within Malawi, all three parks are parks under our management. And it was an incredible feat. I mean, you know, we talk about uh, elephant translocations and, of course, we think about their safety as well. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is, of course, to also better surrounding communities as well. And was that very much the case with this? It was indeed. I mean, the reason why we wanted and needed to move elephants out of two parks, so that was Majeti Wildlife Reserve and Lawandi National Park, both of them had increasing elephant populations due to effective management where we have essentially halted poaching of both elephants and rhinos in those landscapes. Um, and because of that good protection, elephant numbers have been increasing. With that increase, however, comes at sometimes truly catastrophic and, and fatal uh, human-wildlife conflict as well as pressure that these, you know, the largest land mammals are putting on natural resources. So we wanted to remove certain numbers from those two parks to reduce those pressures and, uh, and to help both the natural, you know, natural environment, but also the people living around those areas, while moving them to an area, a third park called Nkotakota, uh, that we had managed for about two years, made that park safe, you know, removed all the snares and, and worked with local communities, put up fencing and moved 520 elephants to that landscape, both because that's where they used to be, but have been hunted out over the years. Uh, but really to revitalize a what we call a conservation led economy. So the goal was to make Nkotakota uh, Malawi's premier elephant sanctuary and to use this as an economic driver to be able to create jobs, to improve and increase tourism. Uh, we've all, we're already seeing some, some quite lovely results from moving those elephants to that landscape. That's fantastic. Of course, Harry was so hands-on during this process. Does that come as a surprise to you guys? You know what? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, his his love and passion and years of experience in you know in multiple countries on the ground with multiple conservation projects it wasn't a surprise to us at all um it, it was lovely to have him be part of our ground crew part of a, a small expert team uh you, as you can imagine i'm sure moving moving elephants is not an easy task <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there, there, there was frankly, you know, years of planning that went into this, um, from having 
experts on the ground, expert veterinarians, expert helicopter pilots. Everyone is an expert in their own right with years of experience in terms of how to move these large animals. Um, And it really is an exercise of stress management and safety, first and foremost, how to keep these animals safe, how to keep everyone else safe who's on the ground undertaking such a monumental and historic undertaking. Um, And it really helped shine a light on Malawi, the fact that here this is happening in one of Africa's smallest and and one of the poorest countries and and one of the most human uh, populated, densely populated countries. And here was this Herculean effort with the Malawian government, with African parks and with our funders to essentially throw a lifeline to to 500 plus elephants and and move them to a to a you know a larger and safe home. How would you describe Harry as a colleague in that situation? Extremely um, helpful, knowledgeable, humble, one of our capture crew. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, what followed was him becoming patron in 2017. And often when we think of royal patronages with a charity, it's sort of lending your name to something, maybe attending one or two engagements. But he's pretty involved in so many different levels with African parks. That's right. I mean, I think this isn't just a figurehead. You know, this is a person with an absolute genuine love and knowledge and commitment and passion for conservation because of what that means for people. You know, a lot of the work that we do, it's not just moving elephants or rhinos or, you know, those are kind of the the sexier projects, the side Mm. of things that we do that generate quite a lot of media um, there's a lot of work that happens behind closed doors, whether it's engaging with governments to solidify our working relationships or working with governments that we're trying to bring on new parks. I mean, that's that's kind of the urgency of what we're doing. There are essentially 1,200 formally declared national parks or protected areas across Africa. Now, we're we're managing 16. Yes, that is the largest amount of area. It's about 11 million hectares. Uh, That is the largest amount of area under conservation by any one NGO. However, you know, the land that is not protected or well-managed now will be lost. And it's been lost because of human needs because of development, um, because of you know, a, a range of reasons. Uh, and, and so it is a race against time. And because of our model and the way that we work, which is entering into these partnerships with governments for us to be 100% responsible for the management of those parks, we need those those governments to to be able to work with us and have trust in us and allow us to assume all the risk and manage their landscapes. So you can imagine there's a lot of work that goes on from our side uh, with with government relations in order to get those, uh, to, to secure those mandates to manage those parks. Absolutely. And quite a time crunch as well. 
what, what do you think is so important about conservation and environmental welfare to the Duke? You know what? I mean, I think there is a an understanding that, that actually in protecting these wild landscapes, and I don't think it's just Africa, you know, it's around the world, uh, the role that this plays on on our own survival, on humanity, um, on on the need to create safe places, uh, because only then can wonderful things happen. I mean, I think there's there's a nice intersection there with Halo Trust. Um, you know, we're talking with Halo Trust about possibly working on a park in Angola that is filled with landmines. I think we all recognise that nothing good can 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 come in a place riddled with 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 fear with danger and in creating safe places all these wonderful beautiful things can start to happen there's a cascade of positive impacts uh that that benefit people right? and i think he's a an absolute genuine humanitarian and and i think that's a, a large piece of what drives uh the motivation of 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 his work with with African parks and with conservation in general around the world. And we saw a lot of that work highlighted uh, during the couple's recent trip to Southern Africa. Uh, Harry launched uh, or announced that the Queen's can- Commonwealth Canopy would be joining uh, the L- Lawandi National Park in Malawi. We also got to sort of see and hear updates on the work that he had been doing with the charity too. Yeah, that's right. It was a wonderful moment. Um, it was a short stay, obviously, during the Royal Tour when when he came and visited Lawandi National Park. That was the same park where he had spent time with us moving elephants out of Lawandi up north into Nkotakota. Um, it's also a place where we have been working with the MOD, the Ministry of Defence, which has been an interesting project, uh, which is really more about a sharing of skills. You know, our rangers, which we have a thousand rangers employed among our parks, and the parks that we manage across Africa. That's the largest counter poaching or ranger force, again, for any one NGO across Africa. These are some of your most well-trained, most highly skilled and outfitted and equipped and incredible individuals. Uh, what's going on in Lawandi, you know, we've been able to build uh, and run a training centre, a hub where rangers can come from all over and they're trained there and then deployed back to parks under our management as well as other parks. Um, the MOD has been there and it's been a sharing of skills where they are helping our rangers on the ground, but our rangers are also helping them in terms of how to operate in the bush in environments like these in Malawi. So that was that was a, a big piece of, of the visit. Um, and then, as you said, uh, the unveiling of a plaque uh, announcing that Lawandi and Mangochi, which is a forest reserve that is adjoined to Lawandi that we also manage, were being... Uh, indoctrinated into the queen's canopy initiative which is which is lovely and again just shows the uh puts a spotlight on conservation efforts and the importance of conserving uh these these areas for for now and long into the future and i think for a lot of our listeners they're always curious to know how it works with a royal 
patronage is the communication very much do you keep prince harry updated or is he also checking in with you guys how does that work because obviously everyone's scattered all over the place you know it's a very mutual relationship it's it's lovely to work with someone who absolutely wants to be part of this so you know it's everything from us we put out a a monthly ceo update um, where we're sharing all tons of information every month with with a key group of people. Um, there is a very easy flow in terms of priorities and talking about projects and needs and a sharing of ideas. So it's it's lovely when there is no barrier and it's mutual on both sides in terms of of a a a very you know naturally and sorry, natural working relationship. We're about to enter a new year. What does next year look like for African Parks? Well, next year is actually quite significant for us. It is our 20th year anniversary. It's also the year we hope to have 20 parks under management. Uh, With 16 secured, we have four in the pipeline that are very near signing with even a few more on top of that. So I think it's quite likely that we will hit our 20-year goal, which is significant. Uh, so we are really focused on on our growth. Um, we've had some significant you know, transformational contributions from some particular donors. One, one specifically has been uh, the Wies Foundation, who is helping us secure and fund uh, new parks that we're able to bring on uh, and serving as a, a match in terms of donations. Um, so that's that's really significant. But yeah, we're really focused on growth and uh, securing as much land as we can for both people and wildlife. And can we expect more engagements with Harry next year? I believe that's, that's very much on the table. And uh, we've got ideas that we're discussing and are looking for those key moments that uh, make sense in terms of any kind of you know, public appearances, but uh, you know, we look forward to to being able to share those as they as they come on board. I'm so excited for 20, 20 years. So much has been achieved. I love everything about what you're doing. And so, Andrea, where can people find you guys? Well, the best place would probably be online. Please visit us at www.africanparks.org. But another way people can find us is to come to the ground come and visit us in the parks that we manage all of these areas are open to tourism and that is an amazing way to support the work that we are doing to help manage the parks as well as create needed revenue that goes back to supporting communities uh it's a holiday with a conscience and we'd love to see you there love it i will be booking something very soon (laughs) i need to get out of this cold weather (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'd love to see you there. Come and join us. Thanks again, Andrea. Thank you, Ahmed. And that just about wraps us up for this week. Before we go, I just wanted to take a quick look at a new initiative launched by fans of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And this is a really cool story. Uh, Obviously, we know Harry and Meghan are often calling their supporters and the people that follow their work to action to not just be part of the hashtag but do what they can to better the world and so it's been great to see fans of the couple start their own initiative this hashtag sussex 
Great Forest Initiative uh, has seen fans launch uh, beautiful campaign to plant 10,000 trees in Harry, Meghan and Archie's names between now and Archie's first birthday next year. It launched just a couple of days ago, but already, I think, close to 3,000 trees have already been donated around the world. It's great. And if you really, if you take a look on Twitter or Instagram under the hashtag Sussex Great Forest, you can see just how active people have been in this initiative. I've heard that the couple are really excited about this, incredibly flattered that people have heard what they've been talking about and how important tree con- conservation and reforestation is to them. We may be seeing something from them about this on Instagram in the days ahead. But if you do want to hear more about that, go to Twitter. Uh, the account is Sussex GT Forest. That's the Sussex Great Forest Initiative. Uh, they're doing really cool things. It's great to see just how impactful supporters of members of the royal family can be uh, to, you know, sort of following on from the work that they're doing. Now on next week's show, hopefully things will be resuming back to normal. It has been quite a hectic week when it comes to royal news. Um, But as we come closer to the end of the year, I want to hear from you guys. What have been the standout moments for you when it comes to the work and what members of the royal family have been up to, whether that's Archie's birth or whether there's some uh, some of the work that they've done, Harry and Meghan's tour, William and Kate's trip to Pakistan, a lot of fantastic moments of the royal family. And I want to hear your questions too, because we are going to dedicate one whole episode to all the things that you've wanted to know about members of the royal family, past and present. I will do my very best uh, to, to go through those and bring in some friends along the way to help with some of the answers. Uh, do send your t- tweets over to hashtag the airpod. I'm always looking out for them. And a big thank you to Anthony Alley and Mike Dubusky at ABC Audio in New York for making this show happen and helping put the episode together. It is why it all comes together at the end of the day, even if I sort of run into the studio uh, in a flurry of notes and uh, unorganised chaos. It all somehow works in the end. Until then, thanks again for listening. Keep the reviews coming in. Five stars, much appreciated. And I'll see you next time. 